Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody? Um, if you're brand new, let me welcome you. My name is Danny. Thanks for uh, coming to the family, hanging out. I'm one of the pastors here at Kesed. This is Tom Lovelace. He's uh, also one of the pastors here at Kesed. He's our executive pastor. And uh, Tom gives us uh, bi-monthly updates or so about what's going on in the church, what's happening. Here at Kesed, we value transparency and authenticity. Um, I mean, it's, it's right up there, you know, just under holiness. It's a big deal to us that you guys uh, know what's happening within this church that you're part of. And uh, there's a lot happening. And so uh, we're excited to give you this update. And so would you please welcome Pastor Tom. Good morning, everybody. Uh, before I talk about finances, which everyone's really excited about, I want to tell you that the first service today, Danny brought the sermon. I mean, he just, he just brought it. So I hope you're ready for it, because it was really good, Danny. That's a lot of pressure. Really proud of you. Yeah, no pressure whatsoever. It was so good. That's because those 9 o'clock people needed it real bad. That's why. <laughs> no. uh, so anyway, the first thing I want to do is just, just thank you guys. Uh, giving this year has been, has been really, really good. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your regular giving. That really helps us out. So let's just jump into finances. This is an update for the first six months of this year. So January through June. Um, as Danny mentioned a week or two ago, that we had a couple of rough months, May and June. We didn't meet our giving budget. But, uh, in, and hopefully that's not going to be a trend. We, we believe it's not going to be a trend. But in spite of that, we're still up 11% for the year, up about $36,000 over our expected giving. So I think we should celebrate that. Regarding our building fund, we've raised about $63,000 so far this year, which is okay, but we have some creative ways to, that we're going to engage you in over the next couple of weeks, so be ready for that. Bring your checkbooks. Um, but some creative ways to, uh, in, in order, you know, so you can give, and, and it'll be fun. It'll be really fun, trust me. So there is the update on our finances. It's really, really good. So can I tell you guys a short story? It begins like this. So I went down to the city this week. Um, you know, we're, we're building a building downtown. And um, I think Danny told you, too, that, you know, a couple weeks ago I went down to the city and walked away with nothing. Well, we went down to the city this week, and look what we got. Can you even believe that? Yeah. So we are so excited. We're so thankful to God uh, for his faithfulness. This is his perfect timing. It's not our timing. And we are just so excited to get started. So if you've driven by the church lately, we have fencing around there, demo, construction starts soon, and we're going to get this thing done. So just thank you again, you guys, for your faithfulness. And Danny, that's the update. Yeah, thank you. Can we give Tom, Pastor Tom a hand? Um. Along with uh, just kind of keeping you guys in the loop, I, I wanted to share something that I, that I sprang on Pastor Tom at uh, the 9 o'clock service, so he's more prepared now at the 11, but, but uh, the reality is there's a lot to, to do with a building like this. This is a $2 million project, just phase one. Uh, there's a lot more work to be done, and it's going to be just—it's going to be amazing. But it's a lot of work, and it's a lot of work that, that I'm not doing. It's really Tom and his team uh, are, are just, just plowing through this stuff. Um, but part of my job is to make sure things still stay very kessed. And, and, and although it's important to, to meet all the, 
the, the, the monthly uh, goals, I, I, I asked Tom for a few things that I just need to be honest with you, he told me no about. Uh, these are actual emails that were sent to Tom over the last few weeks. And uh, I just thought I would share publicly the things that, that you're not going to be, be able <laughs> to experience here at Kesson. Uh, it started off with an email, I think, three weeks ago on a Wednesday. And uh, Tom was talking about how we had some gifts and some people starting to give and some, some new giving units, some new giving families, all kinds of positive things. So I replied and said, Tom, uh, I think that's exciting. I believe it is time for us to pool, pull all of our church budgets together and buy that church merry-go-round that I've always wanted. Uh, and I think that would be amazing in the church to have a church merry-go-round for people to come and experience, you know, togetherness, those kind of things. But Tom said no. And so, <laughs> now within that email chain, this is how it went down over the last few weeks. My wife, Erin, said a merry-go-round is cool, but what we really need is the Dance Dance Revolution arcade game. Not only is it fun and we can exercise, but we could also solve conflict with a dance-off. Yeah. You guys know what Tom said? No. Yeah, he said no. Monty chimes in and says, I'm so excited that we now have permits. You know, I was just thinking it'd be awesome to include an indoor skydiving wind tunnel. And maybe, the best part, she says, maybe we can use it in place of the elevator. So you want to go out there and you just... I thought that was brilliant. I was like, finally, one that makes sense and still kind of fun. You know what Tom's response was? No. Pastor Chris, Pastor Chris said, hey, I'm just thinking out loud, but in the new building, having a healthy work-play balance will be really important. So it seems to me that a golf simulator is a must. It's a great plyometric workout, enhances problem-solving skills. I mean, we took these emails very serious. Increases happiness. Frankly, Chris says, Kind of disappointedly, I can't believe we don't have one already. <laughs> Tom, who loves golf, I was like, this one's definitely getting in. He, he said no, which was amazing. That was a close one. That was a close that was one. Close. <laughs> um, Alyssa says, I, for one, love, would love my work environment and feel like it would be greatly improved if I could bring my dog to work. It's a very Portland, Vancouver thing to do. I thought that makes total sense. She then said... Uh, that I think that her time here at the building would be much more enjoyable with a doggy water park complete with a lazy river. <laughs> and I thought, that's awesome! Like, so many people would come to Jesus in that, and we could double it as a baptism pool. <laughs> you know what Tom said, though, about baptisms in our church? Oh, no! No! <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. All I want to do is baptize people for Jesus, Tom, and swim with a German shepherd. That's it. Tom said no. Uh, uncle Dave, my Uncle Dave, our worship leader, said, hey, I think we need an indoor bike track. It would be a good stress release to take a lap or two now and then. But, of course, Tom said no. And then my mother, Bernadine, chimed in. I thought this one was very Northwest. She says, I have a great idea. How about an indoor shooting range? She said, and I, I took the tone of this to be rather serious, spiritually speaking, this will help with all kinds of feelings. <laughs> lastly, lastly, Pastor Keith. Pastor Keith said, I was promised a bowling alley in my verbal contract with Danny when we started this church, and I want it, and I mean it. Uh, 
and I told Tom that when Keith, who used to be a professional bowler, applied here, we said we'd give him a bowling alley, but Tom said no, and that we hadn't determined which building it would be in. So uh, I, just, I just wanted to show you guys uh, some ideas, but also what I really want to do is I want to remind you what the funds are actually going towards. Uh, we are building something really special downtown. We are putting in uh, um, all kinds of, of better access uh, we're going to end up sprinkling the whole building. We're going to have new sound. We're going to reverse the auditorium. It's going to have an elevator, uh, which is such a huge benefit to, uh, to our seniors and to those who haul things and to children's with strollers and to all, all many, so many different things. Um, and it's going to be an incredibly special place. And so uh, in all seriousness, both of us wanted to thank you guys for your giving and for all the things you've said yes to. It's just been an amazing thing uh, to experience, and we're so excited to get started uh, with the, the now major demo. We've done some little stuff, but the major demo and then the project. The updates will be current. There's going to be two primary ways we're going to be communicating with you guys other than this. Uh, one of them is through the website on a page that we are calling the Kessid Downtown Story, and the Kessid Downtown Story page is basically how we got here. And, and what it's about. For those of you who are just kind of catching up, please go to the website, kessa.com, check out the story link, and it shares the whole story. It's also a great way to let your friends know, neighbors if you live downtown and other folks, so that they can be a part of the whole uh, story. And then the other one is the Kessa Downtown Update page. This will be our primary means of communication over the next six months or so as we unfold this. We'll do weekly, hopefully, maybe every 10-day updates with progress reports. Uh, this used to be one page. We split it into two. It's now a story page and an update page. All that will be on the website. We'll share the link on Facebook later today, and uh, it'll just be great. It's just going to be a great thing. Uh, next week, we are going to have a panel up here for about 15 minutes of the service with our actual builder, who's been attending our church now for, I think, six years, Bob has, Bob the Builder. Uh, that's his real name. It's uh, his real name. His name's Bob, and he's a builder. So... Uh, <laughs> And I'm going to talk to him about that baptism pool, by the way, people. Just, uh, But we're going to have him up here, and we're going to spend about 15 minutes kind of talking about this phase one, what it looks like, give you guys some good ideas. We'll also talk about some creative ways to give and to participate. We're also going to do some volunteer work days uh, that we can go down and actually participate in our building. For those of you who've been asking, we'll, we'll talk about that as well. Um, and all of this is wonderful, but the reality is, that none of it would have happened if a little congregation at the time called Main Street Church hadn't chosen us after a baptism service that we were using their building for uh, to give us this building free and clear. And so uh, we want to start this service by appreciating those folks. There's, I know there's some sprinkled throughout here. Yeah, pretty amazing. And uh, we, we, we did a video when the building was giving to us that kind of just marked the building for the beautiful thing it was. The, the building has incredible bones. It, it's just so strong and healthy. Even the engineers and the folks we've dealt with have been really impressed with how, how uh, little they had to do in that, in that aspect. Uh, and this, so I had a video made that just really went into the building as it was given, it was the gift that it was so that we would never forget. And so I'd like us to um, start this portion of my message uh, watching that video. So please enjoy.
is not a trivial thing. It's a precedent. It's a window to show the true nature within ourselves. A love for helping a community grow. A need to share with our fellow man, if for a moment, a glimpse into the sunshine. To improve the environment, artists are creative thinkers that produce relevant ideas that enhance and push civilization on to the next plateau of discovery. Why do creative people think creatively? Concept of time. There is this great traditional river that we are all trying to add to. That when we do something unique, even in our own capacities, it could join that great fabric of civilization. accepted by everyone to be comfortable is always the great creative surge. But that's another story. As I think back over the last year or so that we have been kind of experiencing um, what it's like to to wait on God for today, uh, I admit openly that, uh, and a few of you have picked up on this because we've had private talks about it, that um, it has felt a little bit like, um, like I've been a starving man stuck in a boat on a windless ocean just of glass waiting for God to bring back the wind so that I can be the sailor I feel called to be. And that, that's a pretty wordy picture, but, but the reality is that as a church planner, especially as someone who's, who's planted with a team, a church from scratch, there's no denominational leadership, there's no board that's going to swoop in, no one's going to write a check and fix our mistakes, it's, it's us, uh, you get used to sailing some pretty rough waters. As a matter of fact, that's kind of what sailing is for you. It's only rough waters. It's lots of wind and lots of waves and lots of excitement and people falling overboard and turning around and messing up, but keeping that boat upright and getting to the place that you're called to be. The last year in reflection for me um, have been completely the opposite. And I have not enjoyed it. And I'm not really sure that I've handled it as well as I would have hoped I would have handled it. Uh, and yet now in hindsight, what I'm seeing is that God has done a lot with it. I am now sitting in a place with you that uh, I'm excited. But more than excited, I'm thankful uh, I had a friend confront me and say, you just don't seem that excited. I thought for sure the wind's back, the sails are full, the boat's moving. I thought for sure you'd be a lot more excited. And I'm realizing there's a sense right now in my spirit of great thankfulness for God that he is the one who brings the wind, but also realizing that without me even realizing it, the current was taking us to where we were supposed to go all along anyhow. And I was pretty whiny about that. Now, I want to be clear 
I was whiny with the rest of you whiners because you were all just as whiny as I was. So although I'm going first, I'm hoping you're allowing yourself to sit in this boat of starvation. Let's admit, we all talked about who we could eat to make this thing stop, right? We're all, I mean, when, when things get tough, that's when you need to make decisions. And sometimes those, those decisions over the last few weeks we've talked about this are a decision to wait upon God, to wait upon the wind and to trust this current that we can't even feel. This week in our Crimson Talk, we actually come up upon Paul who's also reflecting. And someone said to me, wow, that sermon tied perfectly into the announcement of the permit and into the things you and Tom talked about. But it wasn't actually intentional. It really is the next part of the story. And I feel like God, in his infinite wisdom and planning, uh, allowed all these things to come together to give to you what I believe I was given this week, which is the gift of reflection. And then I hope you leave with what I've been leaving with after my study in this week, which is the gift of perspective. Today, a lot of you feel like I felt in that boat. You've been trying to make changes, you've been trying to make decisions, and no matter what you do to sail your life to better waters, the wind just isn't working for you, and the culture's just kind of set against you, and every decision seems to have some sort of, uh, of consequence you didn't foresee, and after a while, it's just discouraging. Frankly, it's just frustrating. Why not just do what everybody else does and jump in the water and swim? Why do I have to wait upon this, this, this wooden cross of Christ? Why do I have to wait within this, this wooden boat of existence for Jesus to make himself known? I have arms. I have legs. I can swim. And so you find yourself wrestling like I wrestled with what kind of decision you need to make next. And so I want to tell you, for someone who sat for the last 14 months in windless waters, whose wind now showed up today, I could have sat better. I could have waited better. I am so thankful it took this long. I'm thankful for lots of different reasons. For one thing, we had some really good people leave the church over it. Not over this specifically, but over the idea of it seems rather rudderless. To which my response has been to everyone, it is rudderless. What are we going to do? We're waiting for this and waiting for that. And people are like, yeah, but I want to be part of something. And I'm like, I want to be part of something. I want to be a part of a movement. And they're like, ah, I just don't really know where this is going. I don't know where this is going. This made me frustrated, to say the least. For another thing, it brought a whole bunch of good people that were bothersome to me because they came in realizing, oh, you're a church waiting. We're really good at waiting. It happened to us this year or this year. And I'm like, no, 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 we're not going to build a church full of good waiting people. Like, like, that's like, let's get together with everyone who suffers well, right? Let's, ooh, I don't want to be a part of that. But God brought all these families. I've met them weekend after weekend after weekend, mature Christian families who can see the angst in my eyes and have encouraged me every single time. Don't worry, the wind's coming. But I'll tell you what, you better, better make good decisions now because you're going to have to reflect back upon it. Family after family after family, and our church has grown through it. And so now we're sitting in this healthier place with healthier finances, healthier leadership, a healthier congregation, and I'll even admit probably a healthier lead pastor. And I don't like it because I want it to, to, I want to go. Well, now that today God seems to be giving us permission to go, 
I want to read to you what Paul says is important to reflect upon when you're waiting upon the Lord, when you're starting things, and when you're going. All together, as you're living your life, this is what's happening. Paul is getting ready to start his last missionary journey. He's going to work his way back through the churches he planted that we've been talking about in Acts. He's going to eventually uh, land in Jerusalem. And then from Jerusalem, he doesn't know it yet, but God's going to take him to Rome, uh, which will be the last leg of his life and his influence. He lands at this church that's very close to his heart, very special to his heart. It's a church in Ephesus. And he starts sharing with that church as the elders come together. And he starts reflecting upon all the difficulty, all the struggle, just like us, just like all the things we deal with, upon the tests that he now sees he persevered through. And he's encouraging the the church to watch for these tests while also encouraging those who currently are going through them. When they all gathered around him, this is what he said, Acts chapter 20, verse 18 through 21. He said, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you read that at face value, you're like, okay, it sounds nice. It sounds, it sounds intimate. As a matter of fact, one theologian said of all Paul's letters uh, recorded by Luke, none is more intimate than this section written to the uh, elders in Ephesus. But we have to realize Paul is encouraging them in regards to the test that he overcame and the test they're now going to face as he leaves. He begins his address by remembering his own personal history with those people. And he talks about his faithfulness, and he talks about his ability to stand firm. Right now, today, we can observe in his words five pitfalls that he avoided, and so for us to be aware of and even measured against. Now, let's break these down very specifically for your story and for mine. First, Acts 20.18, very first phrase, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. This is Paul proclaiming that he overcame the test of laziness. That from the second he landed where God wanted him, he went full throttle. He devoted himself to proclaiming the gospel and then nurturing those who believed. He didn't leave them to fend for themselves. He diligently taught them each day. So he didn't ask the question most of us ask when it comes to our spiritual laziness. Am I doing enough? That's not the question he asked. That's usually the question when we talk about spiritual laziness people refer to. Am I doing enough? And where's that line? Is it based on my gifts? Is it based on my skill set? Is it based on my knowledge? Is it based on my struggles? Where's the line that I know I'm doing enough for Jesus? And frankly, it's the wrong question. The question shouldn't be, am I doing enough? The question should be, am I doing all that God asks me to? If you are doing all that God asks you to, then going full throttle with wind at your back, sailing the ocean wide will be what you're called to do. But if God asked you, like he asked us for the last 14 months, to sit in the bottom of a hot boat and wait, then that's what you're supposed to do. Paul says, I passed this test. God asked me to go full throttle, so I went full throttle. But we know that Paul suffered more than anyone else. He spent a day and a night on the actual ocean, on his way to accomplish something God wanted for him to experience, and yet he had a shipwreck. I joked a few weeks ago, Paul should have been avoiding all water at this time in his story. 
Like it never turns out well for him. But for some reason, he understands sometimes God wrecks me, sometimes God lets me sail on high. Sometimes God destroys me, sometimes God allows me to, to bring healing to someone who's broken. Sometimes, 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 sometimes. Now here's the important part. It's God's sometimes, not yours. It's not yours. It's not mine. I want it to be mine badly. I confess this too much. I know this. I don't know if you've realized this, but Kesset is a place where we work through our problems publicly. I don't know. I've been told this is not a mature way to lead. I had a lead pastor tell me, a very wise man, I just think you're going to end up with a church of a bunch of people like you. And I was like... But isn't that who I want to do life with? I had a friend show up to this service today. The first thing he said to me is, I'm going to blow up your service. And he shared something that was hurtful and sad in his own life. And I said, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. This is what this place is. If you're here because you're living life well, I don't, you're going to be uncomfortable. Because you're going to watch a guy get on stage every single week who's supposed to be an example of a well-lived life. Talk about how he fought with his wife two weeks ago. Or how he had this experience with his child. Or how he messed up this way. Or how, or how, or how. And after a while, you're trying to figure out, how is this supposed to be encouraging me? When the reality is, what I want to encourage you to be is the person God's called you to be. Sometimes God has called me to sit in the bottom of a boat. And I'm about to tell you, I felt it in my spirit after this Sunday. It's time for at least me to ramp up full throttle, which I love. But I'm not going to worship it because I know it's not going to last forever. Because the last 14 months have taught me that although there's seasons I'm stronger at, there's seasons you're stronger at. There's things you're stronger at. There's battles you're built for. There's also battles you're not built for. And I can tell you, based on the last 14 months, I have never been more patient, more resilient, more encouraged than I am right now. Because all the stuff that I, all the scaffolding that were tied into my, my story, my calling, it's all been washed away by boredom and reliance upon him. All that other mature <laughs> Christian stuff. <laughs> now I love that I get to go again I love that I get to feel I can feel it even this Sunday I can feel the wind on my face I love it but I'm not going to worship it I want to encourage those of you in the room and you love it as well and things are going well for you don't worship it because it's going to go away for those of you who are struggling with a windless life right now embrace it feel that sun on your face Sit within the thirst that you're experiencing because God will meet you there, I promise you. Amen. I've been doing this full-time vocationally for coming up on 19 years. The last 14 months have been by far the driest and the loneliest and the most boring and, and all the other words that you can think of that come with struggle. And yet I stand here today and tell you I wish I would have done it better. I'm not looking forward to the next one but I think I'll do it better. So, he overcame the test of laziness. Next part of the verse says, and from here I serve the Lord with all humility and with tears. This is Paul choosing to overcome the test of pride. He wasn't bragging, he was remembering. He didn't say this to dote on himself, but to inspire the elders. The Greek word that he used translated humility carries the idea of lowliness of mind. What he was really saying is that he didn't talk down to the Ephesians that he was helping like they were ignorant or stupid. He spoke to them peer-to-peer, -peer, simply sharing the information they lacked. This is a significant thing when it comes to those of us who are now being called to help this church or, or to engage, especially full throttle. Because it's one thing 
to, uh, to recognize, okay, I'm not, I'm not lazy, I'm ready to engage, even if my engagement is waiting upon God. It's another thing to be active on behalf of God and then get caught up in the results of that action. So I'll just, I'll just say this plainly as I can. Helping people is intoxicating. And unless filtered the right way, will destroy you. Because when you're helping people, if you don't understand that it's God helping them through you, you actually think you're the source of the goodness they're experiencing. I'm just going to say it as clear as I can because I'm a professional helper. Okay? And, and I have, that's why the church has elders, men who speak into my, my life. And I've got quite a few women of wisdom that speak into my life. Because the reality is better men than me have been intoxicated by the servant calling God has called them to, King David. Okay? King David was a man gifted and anointed and, and a man blessed beyond all understanding. He was a man after God's own, own heart who wrote songs that turned into scripture. And then one day surveyed his kingdom and somewhere in his mind went, look what I did. And then saw a woman and said, I want her. But the woman was married. So then he sent her husbands to the front line so he would die, so he could have that woman. How do you go from being a shepherd boy trusting God with five stones in your pocket to stealing a man's wife and murdering him? You go there because you believe at some point you're the source of the power. You're the source of the help. This is why pride is so dangerous and so scary because pride puts you at the center of the story. It puts you at the center of every conclusion you can possibly come to ends and with you. There's no way that anything could happen good in life without you at the center of it. And suddenly with you at the center, you begin to evaluate things around you as either good or bad. And that's a powerful place to be. So what does Paul say? He says he overcame this test of pride by serving the Lord with humility and tears. Let me ask you a question, just quick pride check. When's the last time someone in your life that was trying to do you harm or someone's, uh, yeah, that was trying to do you harm, whose life ended up falling apart, you cried over for them? When's the last time an enemy of yours who fell, you weeped over because of the destruction they brought upon their own lives? Or do you go, like do you go, share? Do you go, mm-hmm, told you, that's what happens. That's what happens. I try to tell you, you know, hey, man, you know, God, God, you know. And then we always use God verses on him, like, God, you know, he withstands a prideful heart. That's all I'm saying. And God's like, yeah, you say you don't have this issue? You say you don't deal with pride? That's like the most prideful thing you could possibly say, is you have no pride issue. This is a struggle. This is a struggle for people who stand on stages, people with jobs of authority, people who have great success. This is a struggle with people who deal with shame. There's not a single person in this room who doesn't wrestle with this. Paul says we must focus upon the humility, and we must have tears for other people and be thankful that God is our source, that he is at the center of the story, and he is the only reason that we get to help, if help at all. The next part of that same verse says he did all that with humility and with tears and with trials that happened to him through the plots of the Jews. Replace that word Jews with any group of people that should be your friends, family, your church, your community, your coworkers. 
He says that he was willing to walk through even the traps of people who were the closest to him. In other words, he overcame the test of discouragement. There is nothing like sitting with a person that says they believe in you who then suddenly says, I don't believe in you anymore. That is just in the, it's, it is a cathartic feeling to sit with a person who's bought into your life, your story, your family, your church, your community, uh, whatever it is, who suddenly says, yeah, I don't believe in you anymore. It is profoundly lonely and profoundly discouraging to have people you look up to, heroes for some of us parents, say to us curses and things to tear us down and make us small. And yet Paul says that's exactly what happened to him, and he counted it at trials, and he counted it as plots. He said it was what it was, but he did it with humility and tears anyways, and he overcame the test of discouragement. I've preached a lot around here about this idea of shrinking the church. One of the reasons that we're trying to continue to make this happen is because we realize that we need to run a lean and mean, it's the wrong verbiage, but it works for me, church, when we get to downtown. We need to run something that, that functions. We need to run something that is strong and that is thick and that, that has the ability to accomplish things that I just don't think other communities can accomplish because they have way too many foo-foo members. And foo-foo members get in the way. We've been slowly, very slowly, tweaking this church to be prepared for that. Some of you might notice our service times are getting shorter and shorter. I had someone recently say that, they didn't know if they could handle it because they, they really like the longer services and they like this experience to, to last longer. And I said, I understand that, but we're moving downtown. We're going to have to run multiple services. We have not a lot of parking. We have to make sure that we, we, we run an organization based on um, what God has given us. We want to steward it well. And it, it just didn't work for them. And, and that's okay because the truth of it is I only have enough parking spaces for those who are serious about it anyways. They gave us a quote. It was like $45,000 per parking spot to build a uh, uh, parking garage downtown. It was going to be millions of dollars, more than our building was worth if we wanted to build a parking garage. So I just said, well, I won't do that. I'll just take the church I have and fit it into the parking spots we're given. But that means some of you got to go. <laughs> I know, it's not said a lot, but... The reality is some of you are here, you're just tourists, and, and it's fun, and I love it, and it's so exciting, but I need people who actually are willing to, uh, you know, face discouragement, face persecution, and get involved, because we're about to be given something that's, that we have to steward, and, and I do believe that God will make room for all that he's called to this place, but I've chosen in this particular area to not be discouraged by all the limitations of God's provision. Like, God gave us a building. Some of the first complaints was, well, I don't know how that's going to work. There's no parking, and I'm like, but God gave it to us. I don't even think we're supposed to figure out how that's supposed to work, are we? I mean, we get into the desert, God provides manna and quell, and then we're like, well, this is no good. There's not enough seasoning for this. <laughs> I, I think we just want to stay alive, don't we? Like, not without paprika, we don't. I'd rather die than live without paprika. <laughs> Kill me now. Some of you are paprika people, and, and this is not a paprika church. We're going we're gonna to go, and it's going to be exciting. And you know what? Some of you, you're being challenged right now, and I hope it's lighthearted because... I hope that all of us together become the people God's called us to be. But I think, I think sometimes deserts are required in order to figure out who's supposed to be a part and who's not. 
And so there's going to be a lot of challenges with this new space. There's going to be a lot of challenges with the new people that come with this new space. And we're going to face all of them head on. And we're going to face, like Paul said, we're going to do it with humility and with tears, no matter the plots or the trials that come. Amen? Amen. Fourth one, 2028, he says this, in light of all that, and I love this about him, he said, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you anything. This is my favorite part of Paul. He was a man who just said it and just let it be. This is him overcoming the test of fear. The Greek word he used rendered here, shrink, means to hold oneself back or to draw away. The reality is no matter how accomplished we become as a church, as Christians, as followers, we are always going to struggle with intimidation. We are always going to struggle with people who are trying to make us feel like the job we're doing doesn't matter. Uh, he'll never watch it, so I was comfortable sharing with it. Sharing it. Um, Aaron's grandfather is a 90-year-old, very legit, very courageous Korean war vet. And uh, he is not a believer, but he's a, he's a man of just substance. And, and it, you just don't meet a lot of men like that anymore. Tall guy, low voice. And he met me the first time, and he asked me what I did. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he just looked at me and then ignored me the entire rest of the family function. <laughs> From then on, just about every time we met, he would shake my hand real hard, make a lot of eye contact, and say, you get a real job yet? <laughs> and I'd say, no, I'm, I'm still playing church. And he'd just smile at me like, well, at least you're consistent. <laughs> the truth is, you're just not going to win over everybody. You're just not going to get everyone's respect, and people are going to try to intimidate you. And the reality is, there's nothing you need to do except be who you are in God. Stand firm and say, no, I'm still just loving my family and my God and my friends. And I get it doesn't make sense to you, and I get it's, it's countercultural. But the reality is, because I'm not at the center of the story, because I'm facing this through discouragement, because I'm not afraid, because I'm not lazy, the reality is that I can live my life without the fear that I'm wasting my life. See, that's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of this very last thing that Paul said right here. Acts 20, this is the last part of that verse. Acts 20, 20. He says, and I did all this so that anything that was profitable in teaching you in public and from house to house, and then he uses this closing phrase, would testify both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at just that first phrase. He said, I did anything that was profitable in teaching you in public and from house to house. This is him overcoming the test of inefficiency. The test of inefficiency of living a wasted life. Trying to accomplish all this uh, quenching of thirst you aren't even built to experience. Trying to be more and 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 project more and pretend more. And I mean, it's just so awkward to, to be someone in the room that, that isn't the center of attention and, and then feels intimidated and then so feels fearful and so whose pride uh, begins to creep in and suddenly you're doing everything you can to drop everything you can about what you don't like about yourself so that you can make a Facebook real life presentation about what you do like hoping it measures up against other people's Facebook presentation of their lives. Have you ever considered that for most people, I only see your outward self, and yet most of the time I measure your outward life against my inward? I see your boat and your stuff and your trips, and I don't know that your daddy paid for them. I don't know that you're on a friend's boat. I don't know if all these things are really yours and you're in your bankruptcy, or maybe you truly do live this life of exotic travel 
to, you know, Primeville and make it amazing. And they're like, oh, look at all that. I'm like, I don't know. But what I do know is that if I don't travel enough or I don't experience enough, then suddenly I measure the stuff inside I don't show anybody against the stuff you measured outside that is incredibly strategic in order to build this person you know you're not. And the reason you do it is the same reason I do it, because you're measuring your inside against somebody else's outside. And you live this life of inefficient cycle and inefficient keeping up with the Joneses and inefficient games. And then you walk into a church like this and you expect the same thing. And that's why my hope is that we shrink the church away from those people, not because we don't want you, but because we don't have enough parking for you. (laughs) And we want you to come back when you're ready to be serious about this thing that God has called living your life well. Because if it's a game, go live it. Go play it. I want to raise my kids full of failure. Mine. I want them to see that I'm not who I want to be. I want you to see that I'm not who I want to be. Because the reality is, Paul's sitting here saying, hey, these are a few things that I did well. There's things we know he didn't do well. But right here he says, church, you need to listen and listen closely. You're going to be tempted to be lazy and do nothing. You're going to be filled with pride and think you're doing enough. Then you're going to be discouraged when you realize both those things are lies so that eventually you become so fearful to try anything and expose your life for the lie that it is that the things you end up trying are any and ineffective. I said that all with one breath, by the way. I'm a little bit lightheaded for a second, just a minute. I believe God is calling us because of what he's given us and what he's shown us. I believe the Jews knew they were free from Egypt when God started leading them through the desert. They didn't have to be explained what that freedom is. They just knew, but it cost them something. This is going to cost you something. And Paul closes the verse, the whole thing, with that simple gospel phrase. And all these things, verse 21, he says, testifying both to Jews and Greeks, that basically means everybody, of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That phrase of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is the bedrock message upon which everything else in Christian theology and practice builds. Put that verse back up of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what God's calling you towards, to repentance, to realization that this stuff is true about you, that there's days you do well and there's days you do poorly, that there's days you succeed and there's days you don't. You repent of those things, and because of that repentance, you move closer toward God and towards faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul always gave priority to this doctrine because none of the other things mattered, and that's why he was successful in them. We have a choice to make, church, whether or not we're going to be courageous. We have a choice to make whether we're going to be fearless. We have a choice to make whether we're going to be filled with uh, humility. We have a choice to make whether we're going to be efficient. We have a choice to make whether we're going to be lazy. We have choices to make. They're ours to make. And you are sitting right now today. Think about this. There is an opportunity in your life right now today, I believe through the Holy Spirit, to reach out and grab the thing God is offering you that you will want more of on your deathbed. Because what you will want more of is a life filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ accomplishing his will. This is what you want more of. The other stuff you're involved in, I'm, I'm going to venture to say you won't be thinking about the things you're you didn't build or the things you didn't see or the stuff you didn't do. You'll be thinking about the life you didn't have because of the people you didn't love. And God is offering you that today. And he's given you an entire platform 
But the question you have to ask yourself at this age, at 41, at 51, at 61, at 71, 81, 91, at 17, you have to ask yourself, am I willing to pay this cost? Because if you're not, there's a lot of people in the Bible who didn't. They walk the wide road, the wide road that meanders around, that, that is full of other quenchings and other desires. But know this. God's road will be trailing quickly behind you, and it will be waiting for you to make a decision to follow him. That's what he's offering. That's what Paul is saying. But you must test yourself. You must evaluate yourself in order to see the truth that God is offering, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said he is the truth. Jesus Christ said when you see that truth, you begin to follow the way, the narrow road. And because you see the truth and follow the way, you can have the life that you've always wanted. How brilliant is that? But most people don't want to see the truth because they're too prideful, because they're too discouraged, because they're too inefficient, because they're too scared, and because they don't see the truth. They don't follow the way. They stay wide road living. They're paprika people. <laughs> and because they stay wide road living, they never experience the life they thought they now I believe that you know you could have this life that I think will echo upon your deathbed that should have been yours if you just but would have been willing to step out and take it. Those are the people that I want to do this with. And if that means there's only 80 of us, that's fine. Because that's about how many parking spots we have just in our main. <laughs> main <area. laughs> We have street parking people. You have to have less commitment. We'll have Dairy Queen people. We'll park there. We'll park on people's lawns. We don't know. We'll figure it out. But God has provided. He's screaming into the darkness with the light of his presence. And all you have to just do is decide you want to listen. He does all the rest. Amen? Amen? Amen. I want to have you guys stand. I'm going to close us with a, a prayer of encouragement. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, I know in this room right now, God, there's so many people with so many questions about what it is you are wanting from them. Lord, I ask that there would be a freedom to rest in that question. That there would be a freedom to, to take it deeper, to get with friends, to get with other people, to go on a journey, to search, to get by themselves, to listen to music, to read books, to fall down on their knees, to raise their hands, to bow their head, to do whatever it takes, Lord, to rest in the presence of your thirst-quenching love. May we not live lives, God, that are anything but full of your purpose and your passion. I rebuke fear in this room right now. I rebuke laziness in this room right now. I rebuke discouragement in this room right now. I rebuke inefficiency in this room right now. I rebuke pride in this room right now. And I ask God that there would be a breaking free of emotion, of experience, of vision. God, may we be the people you called us to be. May we do it through lives lived epically following you. Thank you for who you've called, God. I pray, Lord, you'd bless those who know this isn't for them. I pray you'd prepare our hearts, our finances, our homes, our gifts for what it is you're about to bring us, Lord. We embrace it all. We embrace every single bit of it. 
thank you for choosing us. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for this thing that you've built, this family, this place full of chesed, steadfast love. You are the center of our story, God. You're all that matters. We proclaim you and you alone. In Jesus' name.